Good morning. We're checking to see if the mic is scratched. It looks like it's doing okay. It's so great to be with you this morning. I'm super excited about what I get to share with you. I hope by the end you'll be excited too. A little bit more about me. Betsy said, I worked with Walter. Actually, 52 years ago, I was a 16-year-old on his way to becoming a Christian in Walter Ray's youth group. So, there you go. The first service didn't get to hear that. Um, you should always get the second version. Uh, just, I was a youth pastor for five years at San Clemente Press, then 17 years, a missionary in Brazil. We went there and worked with pastors and church leaders and missionaries offering training. Um, and then I was 14 years the lead pastor in Carmel up on the Monterey Peninsula and uh, retired almost three years ago. Currently, I continue to be involved with our mission in Brazil. Next week, I'll be at a church planting conference in South Carolina representing them and also representing our church planting committee for our presbytery. And, and let me say, our entire presbytery is so grateful to you guys because you are coming alongside Gio and Indra Garcia to plant a Spanish-speaking church here in your midst. And we just think it's marvelous and very excited, but you guys are leading the way with your example, so thank you. Now, one of my other roles that I have now, this is a picture of my seven, our seven grandchildren and their parents, and I get to be a grandpa, which is one of my favorite roles I've ever had in my life. Now, Jesus and the Apostle Paul were both single. They didn't have any biological children, but nevertheless, they loved people so much that they were willing to sacrifice and work hard and suffer so that the gospel could go out to everyone, everywhere. However, my sinful selfishness did not make me automatically love everyone, everywhere. So I believe that what God did was he put into my heart kind of a hardwired automatic response to my children and grandchildren. So I love them and I am willing to sacrifice for them and work hard and maybe even die for them. And what God has done by hardwiring this into me has helped me kind of get a clue and go, oh, that's kind of like how God loves me. But that means God also loves that everyone everywhere that way, not just me and mine. If you love Jesus, you want to become more like him. My love for my grandkids helps me understand that God wants to change my heart so that like him, I love everyone everywhere. Now this brings us to the reading of God's word today from the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, you will be saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are my feet? How, how beautiful are your feet? You see, God loves you and me so much that he sent his only son who endured horrific suffering, the just punishment for my sins and for your sins, so that God could be just 
but also forgive us and adopt us into his family. He conquered death. His followers will live forever. He wants everyone everywhere to hear about this offer of pardon, of reconciliation, of eternal life. But what's his plan for everyone to hear? Well, that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Jesus' plan, he fills his followers with his spirit and he makes them his ambassadors. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are his ambassador. Now, admittedly, most of us could probably be better ambassadors. Now later, I'm going to suggest some steps you can take to move in that direction. Now, as part of a Mission Sunday message, it usually makes sense to kind of describe the state of the kingdom of God on planet Earth. But before I do, I want to share with you something that I learned a few years ago. It comes from the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Nobel laureate David D Daniel Kahneman. And in it, Kahneman explains how our brains are wired such that we have various ways of processing or mental shortcuts that we use with information that often serves us well but sometimes can lead us astray. Of the many processes he describes in the book, one of them is called availability bias. Availability bias encourages our brain to think that the information available to us is representative of all the information that exists. For example, if every time you turn on the news, you hear about mass shootings and political division and people doing evil things, then your availability bias will nudge you in the direction of thinking, oh, that must be representative of all the things that are happening out there, all the information that exists. And emotionally, you will probably heave a, beep, a deep sigh and say the equivalent of, whoa, are we. I know a lot of Christians in this country but that's how they feel right now. We can recognize that we all suffer from availability bias. We can fight against it. It's hard. But one of the better ways to correct availability bias, to be more accurate and reflect reality, is more information. So let me give you some. This, then, is my take on the state of the kingdom of God on planet Earth today. In Brazil, in 1980, there were around 7 million Protestants. Now, there are around 64 million, about 30% of the population. When missionaries left China in 1949, most of them left and many feared for the future of the church. Today, a very conservative estimate is there are over 100 million believers in China, more than 7% of the population. In Korea, around 29% are Christians, nearly 15 million people. In Africa, some experts feel that over half of the population would now tell you that they are followers of Jesus. Well, what about the, another populous country? What about India? 
Last year, I had the privilege of, by Zoom, doing a Bible study with 150 church planters in India. And they have planted hundreds of churches, and they are actually the ministry that has resulted from the vision and endurance and perseverance of one man in India. India's government has been making it very difficult for anything that's not Hindu. And persecution has been on the rise. Nevertheless, one of my favorite missions, extremely efficient and uh, wise, is Mission India. And in 2020, with all that was going on, they planted over 11,000 churches in India and over 2.8 million people came to Jesus. So even in India and China, where the government oppresses Christianity and is against it, it's flourishing. God is doing amazing things. Well, what about the Muslim world, you say? Uh, for many decades, missionaries would go to the Muslim world and they were faithful and they endured and they prayed and they would see very little feud, hardly anybody coming to Jesus. But in about the last 30 years, we started getting all these stories about Muslims having a dream in which they would see Jesus and then they would go and they would find a Christian or they would go online and watch a video of a testimony of a former Muslim and they would become Christians. And it's been amazing. Do you, this is a graph of 287 movements to Christ among Muslims. You can see for hundreds of years, and each movement is defined, this is from Bob Blinko of Frontiers, and he defines each movement as at least a thousand people that were, were Muslims becoming Christians. And you can see that for centuries, oh, maybe we had a movement here and a movement there, but in the last 30 years or so, it's been like 287 movements. Pretty amazing. Do you, pop quiz. Do you know which country on the planet is the one where the church of Jesus Christ is growing the fastest? Iran. Who knew? It's amazing. Now, perhaps some of these 287 movements, it's just a thousand people or a few more. I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure a lot of them are much more than that. I can tell you about one, a missionary from the mission we were part of, OC International, went to a Muslim country decades ago, and he developed a very simple discipleship process. He would meet with a Muslim. They'd talk about Jesus. Often they'd come become believers in Jesus, and then he would disciple them using this very simple process. Ten years ago, 10,000 former Muslims had been discipled through this process. Two years ago, that number had grown to 400,000 former Muslims in the midst of persecution, becoming serious, maturing followers of Jesus. It's amazing. And that's not in Iran, by the way. That's in another country. And it's spread to several countries. What is my take on the state of the kingdom of God on the planet? Never have we seen so many people coming to Jesus as during this period. Never has there been a 50-year period in the history of the world with so many people coming to Jesus. When we have this information, it helps us not to be worked by our availability bias and say, oh, woe are we, but instead just to jump and shout and say, hallelujah, praise God. Unless you're Presbyterian. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure I know what some of you are thinking. 
what about us? What about where we live? What about America? And it is true that fewer and fewer people are claiming to be followers of Jesus, especially in the younger generations. Are, are we to become like other regions on the planet where the gospel flourished for a while and today only small percentages would claim the name of Christ? Like Turkey, where the Apostle Paul planted churches, tiny percentage, or, or Germany and Sweden, where the Reformation flourished, tiny percentages, or England and New England, where one of the great awakenings led by John Wesley and uh, Whitfield took place. George Whitfield. Now, depending on your criteria, you could say that on this continent, we have already had powerful movements of the Holy Spirit three or four times what we would call awakenings or revivals where large portions of the population became followers of Jesus. Friends, we need another one. Now, I strive to love everyone everywhere, but I have to admit there is a special place in my heart for my grandkids. And I am concerned about the increasingly anti-Christian culture they are experiencing. We all know that no one comes to Jesus without the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. Given what is happening here, I am convinced that God wants each and every one of us to pray regularly and fervently for another awakening where the Holy Spirit will work powerfully in our land and win the hearts of millions of people. In addition to prayer, we need to each have beautiful feet. Now, if you love Jesus, you are his ambassador. And I don't know about you, but I think God would like me to become a better ambassador and love not just the people I'm hardwired to love, but love everyone everywhere and be willing to sacrifice and work hard and, and maybe even suffer for them. I would like to share with you a process I suggest you use to become a better ambassador for Jesus. The mission we were with in Brazil, OC International, is involved in bringing training and uh, help to pastors and missionaries. That's what we did. And for 17 years, my part in that was I would train pastors and missionaries in a very simple discipleship process. Uh, it comes kind of inspired by some of Jesus' final words on the night before he was betrayed. He washed the disciples' feet, and then he said, I've given you an example, do what I do. And then he says this phrase, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We as Americans, we think we're blessed just to know something, but Jesus says, far greater blessing, put it into practice. You see, what often happens is we come to church, come to worship, and we hear a sermon, and we agree with it. But then we experience what a friend of mine dubbed doorway amnesia. You walk through that doorway and before you hit the patio, you can barely remember what you agreed with the pastor about and that you were going to put into practice. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, when it comes to following Jesus, the greatest transformation comes cooperating with the Holy Spirit to prayerfully put into practice what Jesus tells us. And one caveat, it usually works better if you do it one little step at a time. You're all familiar with the uh, New Year's resolutions when people say, I'm going to go to the gym five times a week, or I'm going to cut out 90% of my carbs, I'm going to pray an hour a day, and within a month, most people give up. 
Instead, we find it much more effective if we ask the Holy Spirit to empower and use a sustainable, small step that will lead us to transformation. This is a diagram I like to use. Not that one, that one. And uh, if Jesus is telling you something, biblical knowledge, and then you in a sustained way make a habit and put it into practice, what we find is the Holy Spirit uses his power to transform you. And actually, it might be a very tiny step that you're taking, but the Holy Spirit will take you much farther than that step would have would have seemed to be. And also, the arrows go both ways because the more transformed you are, the more you'll understand biblical knowledge and the better you'll be able to do sustained practice. And as you practice something, it will help you understand the Bible better. So it all feeds back into this everything influencing everything to make you more like Jesus. And once you've taken a baby step, you can take another baby step. For example, let's say you come to the conclusion that God would like for you to spend a reasonable amount of time praying each day. The vast majority of Christians in this country have less than two minutes of focused, dedicated prayer each day. Let's say, instead of saying, I'm gonna pray an hour every day, you were to say, how about five minutes? And you put it on your your phone to remind you, and you you figure out a time when you can be alone and concentrate and only pray in in an uninterrupted way, and you do that. What we find is that we develop that practice and then we see all this transformation taking place. And then after a few months, maybe you say, okay, now I'm ready to go to 10 minutes a day. Knowledge, practice, transformation, they all interact to transform us and help us become more like Jesus. It's not the only process the Holy Spirit uses to transform us. One of the processes the Holy Spirit uses is suffering, but it is a wise and simple practice that anyone who wants to can hear what we're saying today, avoid doorway amnesia, and put this into practice. I have done this with hundreds of Brazilians who were trained to become pastors or missionaries. And every single one of them that put it into practice, not everyone did, but those who did, they reported back transformation, some of them remarkable transformation. Please, take that diagram seriously and see the change it'll make in your life over the next year that the Holy Spirit will make. And I have three suggestions for how you might take three baby steps to become a better ambassador for Christ, to make your feet more beautiful. And here they are. The first is to pray every day for the Holy Spirit to bring an awakening, powerful move in the Holy Spirit to this land because we need it. And then in addition to that, pray for three people you know who do not yet, pray for them by name, who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're not yet his followers. That would be one baby step. Second baby step, increase your giving to, all, to, to what God is doing by 1% of your income. You know, those new believers in China, in Brazil, in Africa, almost immediately upon becoming followers of Jesus, they all give 10% of their income to what God's doing. In America, most, on average, churchgoers give less than 3%. And we're much more prosperous than they are. So take a baby step. Give 1% and then maybe next year, give another percent. Let the Spirit guide you. And then thirdly, once a month, have coffee or a meal with someone who is not yet a follower of Jesus. If you can do it in your home, that's better, but just do it and be a great listener. And when the Holy Spirit nudges, 
you think the time is right, share with them bits and pieces of what Jesus is doing in your life. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We need another powerful movement, a great awakening in this country. And it's amazing how sometimes, just with us here, God can use very small beginnings, even discouraging beginnings, to do amazing things. We're gonna, this is a painting. I had the privilege of hearing a Korean pastor recently talk about his trip to Korea where he went to the memorial building to Korean Christian martyrs. So far, 2,800 of them. And as you go in, this is what you see. And in the background, you can see a burning boat uh, and in the foreground, a guy about to be beheaded. This was missionary Robert Thomas from Wales. He had been, the previous two months in 1866, he had been, deliver he had been distributing Bibles on a nearby island, and then he came as the interpreter on an American merchant ship who, that was going into Korea to try and do trade, but they got into a dispute with a local Korean army, and they went aground, and they were completely destroyed, and all the, all the sailors were killed. And missionary Thomas, this is a close-up of him, was brought onto the beach to be killed. And this is a quote from the guy who killed him. I have killed many Westerners. Among them there is one who puzzles me to this day. As I stepped up to kill him, he took a book covered in red cloth, smiled at me, and told me to take the book. I killed him, but I could not refuse the book as I brought it home. Now, the, that man who received the book went on to become a Christian and spent the rest of his life as an evangelist telling people the story of this missionary who died. Above this, you see a picture. You can barely see it, but that's just a picture of a huge plaza with filled with people. And it is to memorialize that 118 years later at the centennial celebration of the arrival of the gospel in Korea, over a million Korean Christians filled that plaza to celebrate the arrival of the gospel. Started out in a very small way, seemingly futile when this missionary was killed. And yet today, almost 15 million Christians in South Korea. Will you experience doorway amnesia today? Will you go out to thinking, woe are we? Or will you jump for joy and praise God at what he's doing around the world and fervently ask him to do it again on our continent? Because you love your grandchildren and because you're increasingly becoming someone who loves everyone everywhere and is taking small steps to become a better and better ambassador for Jesus. May you have beautiful feet.